Of course, a warm thank you to Rabbi Rice for putting together such a meaningful, beautiful program this evening, a way for us to spend our time wisely and to show HaKadosh Baruch Hu how much we actually love his Torah and how much we celebrate it more than any other thing that many others in the world might be celebrating. Uh, my father told us of art that he always wondered, why does it say that all of the Yamim Tovim are Zechel Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? We understand Pesach is Zechel Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Shavuos is Zechel Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Sukkot is Zechel Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the Torah says, Anani HaKavod, we're in the Midbar, all of that we understand. But how do you explain Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, why we say Zechel Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim in the davening? How does that make sense? So my father once told us that perhaps the reason why is because when we say Zechel Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, we are not reminding ourselves of the actual exodus, the actual time when we came out of Egypt. But rather, what we are emphasizing with Zechel Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is the fact that what was the first mitzvah that we were given on the occasion of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? The first instruction we were given is the mitzvah of HaChodesh HaZelachem. When one is in a state of avdus, when one is in a state of being a servant, their time does not belong to them. They don't have the ability to choose what they want to do and when they want to do it. It is something that the master gives instructions and you need to follow it. And you have no option, you have no choice. You have to do it exactly the way you are supposed to do it, exactly at the time that you are asked to do it. And the first mitzvah that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us on the occasion of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim was, you now need to realize now that you're a Ben Chorin, you have the ability to choose how you're going to spend your time. Not only how you're going to spend your time, but are you going to also be Mekadosh Lizmanim? Maybe you can even elevate your time, not just to spend it how I want, but to then do something special to infuse the days that I live, the journey of life that I have. And that is what we mean when we say, when we say on the Yom Tovim that they are all Zechel Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And it's not that Pesach reminds us of Kriyas Yamsuf, and Shavuos reminds us of Kabbalah Satoru, or Sukkot reminds us of Anani HaKavod, but rather, this is the general theme. When we celebrate a Yom Tov, we realize this is an ordinary day on the calendar that we have then superimposed a sanctity, a kedusha into. And that is what we mean. What greater thought to think about this evening than the fact that we are B'nai Chorin, the fact that we are the ones who serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the Am HaNivchar, and we have the opportunity to choose how we spend our time. Ashreinu Matov Chalkeinu, how we choose to spend our time in a way that gives Nachas Ruach to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we hope that this will be a schus for all of us, it's well known from the Meshachachma, I believe, that uh, I think it's a story about the Meshachachma's parents, if I'm not mistaken, on Purim night. Is that what they say? A story about a time when nobody was really learning Torah, and the Meshachachma's father was the only one who made time on Purim night when everybody else was busy. And because of that, there was one moment in the evening that he was the only one in the entire world learning Torah. I think that's the story, something of that nature. And because of that, we say that um, it, is, it is well known that he was blessed to have a son who was the Ma'or Hadar. He was the light of the entire generation because there was a moment where he was holding up the world. Baruch Hashem, we have the opportunity to hold up the world as many of Achenu B'nai Yisrael here in America are not holding up the world right now. And our brothers in Eretz Yisrael are probably sleeping. So what a schus it is to have the opportunity to learn Torah this evening and to be mechazek each other together and once again... A tremendous thank you to Rabbi Rice for putting this together last year, for spearheading it once again this year, and for encouraging all of the Rabbanim in our community to focus on what is really most important to all of us. We know it is no secret to any of us that anti-Semitism is on the rise, but I assume nobody came here this evening to be depressed. We have enough things to depress us. You look around the world, you look on the news any day of the week, any time of the day, and you see 
plenty of things that can make you pretty stressed out and pretty upset, so that's really not what I want to focus on this evening. But the question is, when we have anti-Semitism that is so much the focus of the conversation in many of our communities, is there anything positive that we can consider as we look at what it is that is being done to the Jewish people all over the world? Of course, we are being singled out. Of course, we are being held to a double standard. And the question then becomes, what's the story with being singled out? So if you really take it back a number of steps, you realize that the first entity that singled out the Jewish people was actually not our enemies. It was the Rebona Shalolam. In last week's parsha, then once again in this week's parsha, when we have the continuation of the beautiful story of Kabbalah Satora, Kaddish Baruch, who says, we are supposed to be the Am Segula, we are supposed to be the Am Anivchar, and we are proud of the fact, we are very satisfied by the fact that Kaddish Baruch, who singled us out, shows us, we say it in our davening on Yom Tif, we say it every day in our Birchas HaTorah, we say it in Aleinu every day. We say this over and over again, a refrain about how grateful we are that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one who singled us out. So being singled out is not necessarily a negative connotation. It's actually something extremely positive. It's the Rebona Shalom who singled us out because he wants something special out of all of us. So what is the original instruction? If I were to say, what is the mission statement of the Jewish people? How would you classify, categorize that in one sentence, in one phrase, one paragraph? How would you describe what is the mission statement of the Jewish people? You look in Parshas Yisrael, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the Torah, and you see that the Rebona Shalom lays out the mission for the Jewish people. And what does he say? Your job is to serve as a mamleches kohanim. You're supposed to be a community of kohanim. V'goy kadosh and a holy nation. Now I ask you, my father is not a kohen. I don't know how many people in the room are kohanim or are the children of kohanim. But what is the aspiration? What does the Rebona Shalola mean when he instructs all of us collectively as a community to be a mamleches kohanim? What is that? How can we serve as kohanim if we don't come from Shevet HaKohuna? So perhaps what it means is the following. The Gemara tells us in Masechus Kiddushin a big discussion about what role do the Kohanim actually play when we have a utopian society, when the world is perfect and we have a Beis HaMikdash and everyone's living in Yerushalayim and Eretz Yisrael where they're supposed to be. And then we have the Kohanim. So what is their job? Ask the Gemara, are they the Shlucha Dirachmana or are they the Shlucha Didan? Now practically what it means is we cannot have a society where the entire Jewish people are going to be surrounding the Beis Hamikdash and coming in to serve every day. We need doctors and we need lawyers and we need communities to function and we can't just have everybody in Yerushalayim on the Harabayis all day long, but we also cannot have the entire Jewish community out of the Harabayis. So the Gemara says we came up with a system that the Kohanim are the ones who are going to be singled out to make sure that we always have a functioning Beis Hamikdash at all times. So now ask the Gemara, who do they represent? Do they represent the Rebona Shalolam? Because we can't all be in the Beis Hamikdash, HaKadosh Baruch who needs somebody there. Or are they the Shlucha Didan? Are they our representatives? We would love to be there. 
It's very unfortunate that we are not all able to spend our time dedicated and devoted to being in the Beis Hamikdash all day. So that's the Gemara's question. Are the Kohanim serving in a role of Shlucha de Rachmana, or are they serving in a role of Shlucha Didan? But either way, whether it's Shlucha de Rachmana or Shlucha Didan, the bottom line is, what exactly is the job of a Kohen in the Beis Hamikdash when he does his service? The job is that he's supposed to be the bridge. He's supposed to be the one to unite and to connect all the spiritual matters that the Beis Hamikdash represents with the people who are living mundane lives. Everybody's out working. Everyone's doing whatever they're doing. And the Kohanim's job is to serve in some role as that uniting force, as that bridge, as that connection between HaKadosh Baruch Hu, between all spiritual matters and the Jewish people themselves. And perhaps that is what the Rebona Shalom wants from all of us as the Mamleches Kohanim Vigoy Kadosh. We live in a very mundane, materialistic world. And the question is, do we have the opportunity, do we have the ability to serve in that role as Kohanim, as a Mamleches Kohanim, as the people who are going to stand up and show the world there is some, court, some kind of fusion that can be created between all spiritual matters and all of the materialistic life that we live. That is the challenge and that is the question. That is what the Rebona Shalom asks us. Do we have the ability to stand up and show the world that they could blend together and that we could live a life of materialistic enterprises as all of us do, but yet doing so with a hashkafa, with an understanding of what it means to be connected and to be in some kind of relationship with spiritual matters with the divine. And that's what perhaps the Mamlechas Kohanim are all about. There's a phrase that is thrown around by other factions of Judaism to say that we are supposed to be the Orla Goyim, the light onto the nations. So what does it mean to be the Orla Goyim? How exactly do you define what the job is of the Orla Goyim? So the way my father always says it is, are we supposed to go out and teach all the Umas Olam, all the laws of Kashrus? Of course not. Kashrus is not relevant to them. They are not bound by the laws of Kashrus. Are we supposed to go out and teach them the beauty of Shabbos? Says the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Akum Shashavas Chayiv Misa. So what is our job as the Arla Goyim, as the light onto the nations? What do we share with them? What are we supposed to infuse into their lives? So you may have thought that this term Arla Goyim is something, we don't talk about that. That's other communities speak about it. The truth is, the one who coined that term is the Navi Yeshaya. The Navi Yeshaya refers to the Jewish people in the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He's quoting what he heard from Hashem, and he says that the Jewish people are the Or Lagoyim. So I always wondered, I'm embarrassed to say, but I always wondered, what do the Mephoshim have to say to explain what is the job, what is the role of the Or Lagoyim? One time I took out a Navi Yeshaya with the Mephoshim, I decided I'm going to look it up, and much to my surprise... I didn't have to go to the bottom of the page. All I needed to do was to look at the next words in the Navi himself, where he describes what the job of the Arla Goyim actually is. I don't know Navi well enough, so I was not aware until I looked it up. But what does the Navi say? The Navi, quoting HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Ve'etzarcha ve'etencha lebris am. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created us. He made a bris, he made a covenant with us. He chose us as the Yama Nivchar, Le'ar ha'goyim, that we are supposed to be the light onto the nations. Next word on the Pasuk. Lifkoach enayim ivros. The job of the Arla goyim is to open the eyes of those who are blind. Lohotzi mi mazgir asir. 
to be able to take all of those people who are living lives that are so empty, that are so blind, that are so dark, that are so meaningless, that have no purpose and no vision, no understanding. That is our job as the Arla going to be the ones who can show that there is a sensitizing that can be done to every moment of the journey of life to make people understand you can see light in your life, you can see purpose, you can have a driven life that has mission, that has a reason why you're doing everything. It's not just empty, and it's not all materialistic, and that, says the Navi, is the job of the Yarla Goyim. Now, it's not always so easy. It's not so simple to always be able to see with mission and with vision and with clarity. We have a lot going on in our lives. We have a lot of responsibilities. We have a lot of communal social responsibilities. We have a lot of things that are expected of us from our colleagues at work or all kinds of obligations that come our way. And it's not always so easy to have the clarity of vision and purpose. It doesn't always work so simply. My father once told me, I think he said in the name of Rav Salavechik, he said, David HaMelech writes, we say it in Tehillim, and it's a very famous Pasuk from there, from Halel. Ani amarti b'chavzi kol adam kozev. So what does it mean? David HaMelech says, kozev means every man is a liar. So the question is, really? Do you live life believing that everyone that you interact with is a liar? There are some people who live all of life as big pessimists, and everyone they meet, they're suspicious of, and they don't trust anybody. So maybe that's what David HaMelech is referring to. Maybe that's the way we're supposed to live. Is that really what he means? We wouldn't be able to have a society. If you didn't trust people, you can never do anything. Somebody gives you money, maybe it's counterfeit. Somebody offers you a job, maybe he's not going to pay me. Somebody signs a contract, maybe he's going to run away. Maybe he's going to go to another country. You can't trust anybody, then you can't live. So what does it mean? Every man is a liar. What exactly is the reference in that puzzle? So my father said as follows. David HaMelech says every man is a liar, but he doesn't mean every single human being is lying to his or her friend. That's not what it means. Rather, what it means is that every human being is conflicted. Every human being has an inner tension inside of themselves at all times. What does that mean? It means the following. The Pasuk says, when Adam Arishan was created, he was created afar min ha'adama. He was created min ha'adama. As careful studiers of Chumash, we all know, whenever there's a hay in the beginning of the word, it means to highlight something unusual, something extra special. So what is so special about this adama? What is that a reference to? So the Medrash says, Tupshatit. The Medrash writes in Parshas Bereshis, either it means he was created min ha'adama, which means from the holy sacred ground, which was Haramoriah Haradais, from the Adama, as the Torah says, Mizbach Adama Ta'asali in Parshas Yisro. So it's a reference to that. HaKadosh Baruch who took a little bit of dirt from the Makam Migdash, and from there he created Adam Arisha. The second interpretation of the Medrash is no. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was Savar Afaro Mikol Rucho Sa'adama. HaKadosh Baruch Hu took a little sampling of dirt from all over the world, put them all together, and from that was created Adam Arisha. Seems that it's a machlokis in the Medrash. How do you understand what it means, Adama? So my father said, perhaps both of them are correct. And all of us were created with both of these elements. We all have an inherent relationship and connection with spiritual matters, with the Mizbeach Adama, with the Harabayas, with the most holy and sacred ground in the world. All of us have an innate relationship with that. 
but at the same time the Rebona Shalom also created us with a certain curiosity. You ever wonder, you look at the news and you see something is going on in Zimbabwe, see something is happening in Uruguay. What does it matter to you? Why do you care? Did you ever meet anybody from these countries? You ever spoke to anyone from there? You don't do business there. Why, why does it interest you at all? Everything has to do with the Jews? That's a fancy answer. So tell me, what does it have to do with the Jews? You don't know. So why does it interest you? You're not exactly sure. The answer is because we are curious people. We are curious people, and we were created Afar Min Ha It's part of who we are. The Rebota Shalom took a little bit of Afar from all over the world, made us, and because of that, we just have a curiosity. And we have this tension inside of ourselves at all times. On the one hand, we are being pulled strongly to Mizbah Adama, which is the Harabayis Haramoria. On the other hand, we have a tension that pulls us in very different directions. And that is the challenge of every human being, to see whether they can figure out how to fuse everything that is their inner makeup to make a meaningful, spiritual, understanding, sensitive life that is mission-driven and that has purpose at all times. So that, perhaps, is what we mean when we talk about the idea of an Or Lagoyim, as being the ones who are singled out, as being the light onto the nations. The job of the Or Lagoyim is to open the eyes of others, to illuminate their lives, and to show them that we are able to live this material world life in a way that makes us have a different kind of perspective, a different kind of understanding than what we may, as, than what we may have otherwise perhaps had. So when we talk a little bit about anti-Semitism, it's a little bit complicated because in essence, you go all the way back to Parshas Vayishlach, and there Yaakov Avinu has the famous engagement with the Sarah Shalesav. And after spending an entire evening with Sarah Shalesav, he turns to him and he says, Hagidin To which the Malach responds, Lama Tishalishmi, Why are you asking my name? Now, what do you mean? What kind of response is that? If I spent an entire evening with anyone, let alone fighting with someone, arguing with someone, I think it would be fair for me to ask at the end of the night, can you just tell me, who are you? I'm curious, we just spent a couple of hours together. Who are you? How did I get here? Tell me, what is your identity? So Yaakov Avina's question sounds like a very reasonable question, and the answer he gets doesn't even answer the question. The answer he gets is, Lama Tishalishmi, why are you asking my name? What kind of answer is that? If he would have told him, I don't have a name, that's an answer. If he would have said, I'm sorry, I'm not at liberty to share my name, for whatever reason, also an answer. What kind of answer is that? Lama Tishalishmi? And the Mepharshim explained, perhaps what it means is, that Yaakov Avinu was not asking, who are you? Yaakov Avinu was asking, I see in the future that my children are going to have to deal with their own enemies, with their own problems. And the question then becomes, what is your essence? How can I properly strategize? How can I tell all those who will come in future generations how they should prepare themselves for this enemy of the Jewish people? How should they best be ready for the anti-Semitism that is to come? And the answer that they are given is, Lama Tishalashmi, it's not going to help you. Even if I disclose my identity, just because I am showing myself in one form does not mean that in future generations it will be the same challenge. Anti-Semitism has had so many different faces and forms over the years. 
over the millennia of Jewish history, over the generations. And therefore, the Sarah Shalesev is telling Yaakov, it is not something that you can strategize for or against because I cannot tell you exactly how it's going to present itself. So in some generations, it's going to be Nazism, and in some generations, it will be communism. We celebrated Hanukkah a few months ago, which was one challenge. We're going to celebrate Purim in a few weeks, and that's going to be a very different celebration, different challenge. And each generation has its own iteration of what the challenge to the Jewish people is all about, and they are not always similar. They don't always match up with one another, and that was the answer that was given to Yaakov Avinu. I think the one who put it best in our generation, just in English, uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs has this in, I think, every book that I've read of his, he has the exact same paragraph verbatim, where he describes anti-Semitism, and I think this is the best way to say it. Anti-Semitism is not a unitary phenomenon, a coherent belief, or an ideology. Jews have been hated because they were rich, and Jews have been hated because they were poor. Jews have been hated because they were capitalist, and Jews have been hated because they were communist. Jews have been hated because they believed in tradition and because they were rootless cosmopolitans. Jews have been hated because they kept to themselves and because they penetrated everywhere. Anti-Semitism is not a belief, but rather a virus. The human body has an immensely sophisticated immune system, which develops defenses against viruses. It is penetrated, however, because viruses mutate. Anti-Semitism mutates. And that's the story. Anti-Semitism continues to mutate. It's interesting that in Maseches Megillah, we're about to celebrate Purim, and we look forward not only to celebrating Purim, but to have the bracha of la Yehudim ha'isa'ora v'simcha v'sasan v'yikar b'yamim ahem b'zman azeh that HaKadosh Baruch Hu should give us this year a v'nahapochu. We should have the opportunity to celebrate together and understand what it means to go me'afela li'argadol mishibu l'geula and to have an opportunity to celebrate with our own modern-day geula the same way the Jewish people did and made themselves kimu v'kimlu ha-yehudim, that they reaffirmed their commitment because they understood the love that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had for them. If only we will be zolcha to have the same opportunity in our generation, we hope, Bikarov, to have that experience of celebration. But the truth is, the Gemara says in Maseches Megillah, sometimes you have the mistaken impression when you go through the Purim story, you feel almost as if Haman was terrible, Achashverosh, not so bad, just a passive participant. He's going along with the program, but didn't really do anything. And the Gemara says, that is really not the case. Achashverosh and Haman equally hated the Jewish people. Maybe Haman was a little bit more assertive. Achashverosh took a back seat, but they both equally hated the Jewish people. So now says the Gemara, if you want to understand the relationship with Haman and Achashverosh against the Jewish people, we're going to give you a mushal to understand it. So the Gemara only gives us a mushal when there's something that we had trouble understanding before. So then the Gemara tells us a story to make us be able to understand it better. So is there anything that you don't understand about Achashverosh and Haman hating the Jewish people? Sounds pretty straightforward. Sounds like it makes sense. So why do we need a mushal? I'm not sure. Now listen to the mushal and see if you understand it better. Okay? Here's the mushal. Says the Gemara, there's a story of a bala tail and a bala haritz. You can see it here. I think. Yes. The Gemara has a Maseches Megillah, a story about somebody who has a big mound and somebody who has a big ditch. What's the story? So the Gemara tells us there were two next door neighbors and they bump into each other in the supermarket one day and they start talking and each one is complaining to the other. One of them says, you know, I would love to do work on my field. The problem is I have this big mound right in the middle of the field and every time I come out with the 
instruments to try to work the field, they always get stuck on the dirt. So I'm not able to do anything. I have such a fertile land, such a beautiful piece of property, I can't do anything. It's a waste. His neighbor says, it's funny you say that because I have the opposite problem. I have also a beautiful backyard, very fertile ground. I would love to run a business out of here. I would love to run, uh, have all kinds of fruits and vegetables growing here. It would be a great idea. My problem is that as much as I would love to do it, I have a big ditch in the middle of the backyard. So every time I come with all the instruments to work the field, I can't do anything. They all get stuck in the ditch. Oh, so they shake hands. Why don't we make a deal? Why don't you come every day with a bucket, take some of the dirt out of my field and start filling up your ditch and we'll all be happy. You won't have to pay money to remove the dirt. I won't have to pay money to fill the ditch. And over the next few months, we'll be able to both have very functioning, wonderful fields. I embellish the story a little bit, but the Gemara basically tells that story. You got it? So now you understand. Achashverosh and Haman? Make sense to you now? Hope the answer to that is no. So the Gemara gives us a mashal to better understand the story of Achashverosh and Haman. And after the mashal, first of all, we're not sure why we needed the mashal in the first place. But even after we hear the mashal, we don't have any more clarity on what the Gemara is trying to emphasize. So what does it mean? What is the mashal? Rabbi Rice, how much time do I have? That's, what's Five more minutes? Okay, double speed. Put on your seatbelts. So, 10 minutes. Okay, 10 minutes. I apologize to Rabbi Levin in advance and to all the Rabbanim. I have a flight to Israel soon, but I did not want, I had a flight this morning, but I did not want to cancel on Rabbi Rice's beautiful program, and that's why I'm going tonight. But I have to be back on Thursday for Rabbi Leibowitz's wedding, so it's a very short trip. And, um, this to me is a very special evening. And once again, I thank you for putting it together. So Rav Asher Weiss once told me, what's the pshat in that Gemara? How do you understand the mashal? What does it mean? He explained as follows. What the Gemara is trying to get at is, you want to understand the hatred toward the Jewish people? Here's what it is. Some generations, they hate the Jewish people because they are a big mound in the middle of, big, middle of society and we can't get around them. They pervade every area of our lives. They are successful in business, they're successful lawyers, they're successful in the stock market, they're in politics, they're running the media, they're doing everything. We hate the Jewish people because they're so powerful, they're involved in everything that we do. And that's why we hate them. There are other generations of the Jewish people where they are hated not because they are so successful, but because the claim against them is you are subhuman beings, you don't have a right to be a part of the human race. That's why we need to get rid of them, 1930s. Nobody said the Jews were too powerful. What they said was the Jews are subhuman beings. They don't have a right to be a part of our race. But the bottom line is, whichever way our enemies come at it, in the end they shake hands with each other and they all have the same goal. Whether you look at it this way or the other way, they all hate the Jewish people equally. And says the Gemara, that's the story of Haman and Achashverosh. They may have come from it from different perspectives, but they come to the same conclusion. And that is, we have one common goal, and that is to destroy the Jewish people. A number of years ago, Rabbi Rice and I were actually sitting next to each other. Rabbi Lau was here in Young Israel, Lawrence Cedarhurst for Shabbos. And on Matzah Shabbos, Rabbi Teitelbaum put together a beautiful evening for all of the Rabbanim in the community. It was very memorable. It happens to be that that Shabbos was the Shabbos of the shooting in Pittsburgh, in the synagogue in Pittsburgh. 
So whatever Rabbi Lau was supposed to speak about, I don't know what he was scheduled to talk about, but he was very clearly shaken up from the experience that he had heard right after Shabbos, what happened. And he got up after Shabbos to speak and he said that he's scratching whatever it is that he was going to discuss and now he's just going to discuss Inyana Dioma. And he said, never did I believe that I would be in the United States of America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, and here there would be an attack on a synagogue on Shabbos. He was very shaken up by it and he shared the following medrash. He is an amazing darshan. If I remember correctly, I think he said this medrash for 45 minutes. Is that correct? I don't think he said anything else. I was completely mesmerized by what he said. And when I walked away, I said, did he just say a medrash for 45 minutes? It was so amazing. So I'm going to really cut it down to Rabbi Rice's seven minutes. But here's the medrash that he quoted, which is really, really amazing. So the medrash tells us there was a conversation with all the premeditated murderers in Jewish history, in the history of Chumash. They all came together and had a conversation. Says the Gemara, who's the first, says the medrash, who's the first murderer in the pages of Chumash? Cain. Cain doesn't like his brother. He feels a tremendous sense of competition. Doesn't know what to do. So how do you get rid of your competition? One easy way is to just kill him. So Cain kills his brother. Who is the next murderer in history? Esav. Says the Gemara, along comes Esav, and he's trying to analyze whether what Cain did actually worked. I also hate my brother, said Esav. I also need to get rid of him. So let me look back in history and see whether the first person who had this problem was actually successful. So he looks at it and he says, Shote Hayakaya. Kayan made a big mistake. Why? Because you hated your brother, you felt a competition, you felt you needed to get rid of him. The problem is what you didn't factor in was your parents are still alive. If your parents are still alive, that means they can have another child. If they have another child, that means you're back to your competition again. So what did you accomplish? And in fact, Adam and Chava conceive, have another child. What do they name the next child? We have another child that is taking the place of the child that we lost. So Cain really didn't accomplish anything. Esav says, I'm not going to make that mistake. Rashi and Chumash explains it differently, I know, but the Medrash explains it this way. Esav says, Yikruvu yimei eval avi, I'm going to wait until my father dies and then I'm going to kill my brother. Why do you have to wait till your father dies, says the Medrash? Because this way I know with certainty I'm going to get rid of my competition and only then is it worth killing my brother to make sure no competition will ever come back. Sounds like a good plan. So where did he go wrong? Where did he fail? Says the Medrash, along comes Paro, the next evil murderer in Jewish history. And he says, look, I hate the Jewish people, but there were those before me who also hated others. Let me study what they did. Let me try to strategize and see whether they were successful or not. And let me see where they went wrong. So what was the problem? Problem was that he looks back at Esav and he says, Shotehaya Esav. Esav got it wrong also because it was a good idea to wait until your father died. But the problem, the flaw with that argument is all those years that your brother Yaakov was alive, he was having his own children, who were then getting married and having their own children. By the time you get around to it, they're too big, you can't kill them anymore. Paro says, we're not going to make that mistake. We're going to kill the children immediately. We can't wait around for them to get married. We cannot risk that. We have to murder them immediately. What about the women? Why? Says the Medrash, because they'll intermarry. What's the big deal? 
they'll intermarry, they'll marry Egyptians, they'll all have their own children, it will only grow our people, it will grow our nation. Along comes Haman, and he too tries to study the behaviors of all those who came before him. And he tries to understand where did they fail, what went wrong, how come the Jewish people are still here? And Haman says, here's the mistake. We read in the Megillah, Simply translated, it means, we follow a different set of laws than the rest of the world. We follow the Torah, they all follow secular law. But the Medrash suggests maybe it means something different. Perhaps is a reference to one law, and that is, how do we determine nationhood? We determine by the mother. The Gemara says, Meseches Kiddushit. The mother is the one who determines whether the child is going to be a Jew or a non-Jew. That is different than the rest of the world that determines nationhood by the father. And Haman says that was Paro's mistake. He thought he was going to be okay to destroy the Jewish people by only destroying the men. Let the women intermarry, everything will be fine. That was his mistake, and I'm not going to make that mistake. Lahashmid, laharogu, laabedes kol hayudim. Minar v'adzakein, taf v'nashim echad. I'm going to eradicate the Jewish people from this earth. The way to do that is to make sure that I get rid of men and women, young and old. This way we don't run into any of the problems of those who came before us. Sounds like a plan. Sounds pretty efficient. Problem is we're still here. So how do you explain that? How are we still here? Says the Medrash, along comes Melchemes, Gogu, Magog in the end of days. And they're trying to figure out how do we destroy the Jewish people. All those who came before us tried to do it and were unsuccessful. So how do we destroy the Jewish people? And what they understand is Shotahaya Kayan, Vishotahaya Esav, Vishotahaya Paro, Vishotahaya Haman. They all got it wrong. Where did they get it wrong? What they didn't realize is Kozman that we have Avinu Shabashamayim. So long as we have a father in heaven who cares about us. There is no way that he will ever allow for his children, for his nation to be destroyed. So here's the plan. They say the plan is, let us make sure to cut their relationship, to sever their ties with Aviyam Shabashamayim, and then we will be successful in destroying the Jewish people. That was the plan. In fact, the second parak in Tehillim, writes a description of Milchemes Gogu Magog. If you look in the Mepharshim, you'll see it. And what does the Navi in Tehillim say? The Psukim in Tehillim write, which means the plan of Milchemes Gogu Magog is to take those cables, those cords that bind us with Avinu Shabashamayim, and to cut and sever those ties. That's the plan. So what's wrong? Sounds like a good plan. The very next words in the Navi are, Yoshev Bashamayim Yishak Hashem Yilaglamo. You want to try to destroy the Jewish people? Maybe you'll be somewhat successful, maybe not, some more, some less. To sever the ties between ourselves and Avinu Shabashamayim is an impossibility. And Akadush Baruch Hu sits in heaven, Yoshev Bashamayim Yishak, the Ribbon Shalom, sits there and he laughs at anyone who thinks that that is a realistic possibility in our entire history as Jewish people. That will never happen. That is what our challenge is. 
in the end of days. And we hope that we are coming close to the end of days. Nobody really knows what is Melchemes Gogumagov. I once read Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arbach writes in one place, he had a Mesorah in his family, all the way back to the Noam Elimelech. I don't remember who he said, heard it from him, but he said it was a Mesorah in his family that what is going to be the challenge in the end of days? So he said from the Noam Elimelech that perhaps the challenge in the end of days is going to be what we refer to as Chevle Mashiach. What is Chevle Mashiach? Chevle Mashiach is really a take-on of the words from the Navi of Chevle Leida. When a woman is in labor, it's extremely painful, it's excruciatingly painful, and that's referred to as Chevle Leida. So there's going to be something before the coming of Mashiach that is somewhat similar to a very difficult time in Jewish history that's referred to as Chevle Mashiach. Okay, that we know. In fact, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Many Amoraim said, We daven every day, We daven Mashiach should come, but I hope Mashiach comes, but I don't want to be there for that because I'm terrified of what's going to happen before Mashiach comes. So, what is going to be this challenge right before Mashiach comes? What is that Chevli Mashiach that everybody is so afraid of? The Normally Melech said, The reason it's referred to as Chevli Mashiach is not only because it's a reference to Chevli Leda, to the pain. There are many ways to describe pain. But he says, Hevel is a cable, it's a cord. What it means is that in the end of days, our cable, our cord, that binds us with Avinu Sheba Shamayim, our cable that binds us with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that we've held on to for so many thousands of years, that cable is going to be rattled. That is going to be shaken ferociously all over. And the question and the challenge in the end of days is going to be who is willing to still hold on tight to that chevel that binds us with Avinu Sheva Shammai. That is the challenge of Chevle Mashiach, says the Noam Elimelech. That is the question that everyone needs to be asking themselves. How strong is that connection? How much are we willing to hold on even when things are extremely challenging, when the waters seem to be very murky, when we're not exactly sure how we're going to get out of this, or when it will end, or how positively things will end, when we see such devastating news day after day, every day you turn on, the, turn on whatever device you use, and you see, I'm sorry, and you see one tragedy after the other, one family destroyed after the next, and you ask yourself, Ad Masai, how many families, how many communities can be destroyed? What is the end? Is there any end? What does victory look like? Will we ever be able to say that we have been victorious? The question is, are we able to say that we still hold on to HaKadosh Baruch Hu as that Chevel ferociously swings in many different directions? And that, says the Navi in the second parak in Tehillim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there, Yoshe Bashamayim Yishak, as the plan for the end of days is to destroy our Kesher with Avinu Shebashamayim. That's what they're going for. The question then becomes, do we have the stamina, the fortitude, the strength, the conviction, the understanding to stand up and make sure that we are the ones who continue to hold on tight and to make that relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu one that is going to be not diminished, but one that continues to be more and more powerful as we come closer, hopefully, to that day of La Yehudim, Haisa Ora, V'Simcha, V'Sasan, V'Yikar. Once again, I thank all of you for coming. What a schus to be learning together this evening. I hope that everyone will enjoy the entire program that Rabbi Rice has put together. Once again, we thank him and all of the Rabbanim who were involved in putting this together. It is a wonderful opportunity to learn, to inspire, to be inspired. And I wish all of you a wonderful evening.